Hello, welcome to the Girl I Slept in My Makeup podcast by three sisters who live in three different states who are excited to talk to each other and also to learn and grow alongside of each of you. Uh, My name is Megan. I'm Kristen. And I'm Lauren. Hey, sisters. Hey. I'm so excited about today's guest. This is Megan. Our guest today is Paige Pritchard, and we actually met working together back in the day at Sewell. Uh, If anybody doesn't know Sewell, it's a car dealership kind of luxury of DFW, um, and actually in more cities throughout Texas now. Um, So welcome, Paige. Hi. (laughs) Thank you for having me. I know, like, the good old days, way back, way, way back. I know. It's funny. I love it. And you and your husband met there, which is even cooler. I love that. We did. We did meet there. So I feel like there's so many like married couples that come out of there. But yeah, that's where I actually met my husband. So we used to call it the soul connection. The soul love connection because there (laughs) were so many, so many. So funny. I I know. Um, Well, I want to just kind of read a little bit about you, and then we'll kind of jump into what you're all about. Um, So Paige Pritchard is the founder of The Purposeful Penny, which I love your name of your business, by the way. So cute. Thank you. It's an online community for women to gain the knowledge and confidence that they need to create their most powerful financial life. Paige was inspired to start her blog, The Purposeful Penny, after paying off $98,000 of student loan and credit card debt by the age of 27, buying her first home at 25, and building a six-figure retirement portfolio by her 29th birthday, which, whoa, that's amazing. (laughs) Um, While going through her debt-free journey, she thought she was the minority of 20-somethings burdened with student loan debt who were also navigating how to find other life expenses. Um, I mean, sorry, how to fund other life expenses that being an adult throws our way. However, after paying off her debt and sharing her accomplishments with others, she realized that they were a lot more women than she realized in the same position. So they were seeking guidance and encouragement to achieve the same as she did and breaking free from the chains of debt and building long-term wealth. Paige has made it her mission to provide the knowledge and strategies she learned along the way to other millennial women and spread her message that your 20s doesn't have to be a struggle, but rather a time where substantial financial progress can happen, which I think is so huge. I'm like, I wish I would have, I've been following your journey this whole time, but I'm like, oh, I should be been talking to you like five years ago. So I'm oh so my excited gosh. to learn more. Oh, well, that's, that's so sweet. But yeah, I mean, just so you know, too, like, you know, I also talk to a lot of women like in their thirties or forties and like, they're always asking me like, is it too late for me? And I'm like, no, absolutely not. Like, I love talking to women in their twenties just because the sentiment that I hear a lot is like, oh, well, I'm so young and I have so much time, which that's a, you know, perception that I'm trying to change. But, you know, just so too, like if you are in your thirties or your forties or even your fifties, like it's fine. It doesn't mean that there's no hope for you. Like yeah. starting today is better than, than waiting. So don't feel like yeah. all hope is lost too. If you're, if you're in your thirties or forties. So yeah, I love that page. This is, this is Lauren and I'm, we'll be 40 soon. And so whenever Megan was reading your mission, I just love that so much because my husband and I really didn't get a clear focus for our financial situation and where we wanted to go and just really looking at our future until our thirties, like early Mm. to mid thirties. And one thing that we also share with people when we're sharing kind of our journey is just, you know, if you can just get in the heads of the 20 year olds, you know, it's just so, it's so better off. And I love that you're kind of pushing that mission because it does make such a big difference when you start early, right? <laughs> it it yeah. it really does. It really does. So, I mean, we can definitely talk about this, you know, um, in, in the episode, but, you know, like I said, the sentiment that I'm always hearing is like, oh, I'm so young. I have so much time. But what yeah. a lot of people don't really realize in their 20s is like, that's actually your most opportune time 
to be getting your financial life in order and to start saving because the more time that you can give yourself, the better off you're going to be 40 years from now, 50 years from now when you're retiring. And it really is kind of, you know, that saying like work smarter, not harder. That really is, you know, when I think about it, it really is like the earlier you can start, the smarter you're working because then you're giving your money that much longer to just work harder for you. So Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. So Megan, thanks for sharing, um, Paige's bio, but Paige, will you kind of give us a little bit more about your history and then where your current focus is today? Obviously we touched on it, but, um, just for those that aren't familiar with you, just kind of give an idea of where you came from and where you're at today. Sure. Yeah. So I am 30 years old. I live in Houston, Texas with, as Megan said, my husband, Ryan, who I met in my very first job out of college at Sewell, um, which is also where I met Megan. But I grew up, um, you guys might know, I think y'all are from the Dallas area, but I grew up in a suburb of Dallas called Coppell, which was more so, yeah. So I grew up in Coppell. Um, It's definitely, you know, kind of like a middle class place. And I'm, I'm really going this far back. I always include this as part of my story because I feel like it's just really important to understand my mentality about money. But, you know, in my household growing up, money was never something that was ever really like acknowledged or talked about by my parents. But, you know, now that I'm older and looking back as an adult, I definitely can look back and see that I always really sensed the lack of it in my house, right? I mean, even though yeah. we grew up in a quote unquote middle um, class town, I would say we were definitely like on the lower end of that. Um, and, you know, my parents, I always kind of saw them struggling financially growing up. And so always sensing really like the lack of money, the anxiety that it caused in my household. So, anyways, turned 18, went to college, I went to Texas AM. And as crazy as this sounds, you know, growing up in Coppell, like talking to all my friends, all my friends were like, oh, yeah, well, like, you know, my parents are paying for college, right? And I'm the oldest of three girls, so I didn't have any older siblings to kind of like consult with and be like, hey, like, how like did mom and dad pay for college? I honestly just assumed that my parents were floating the bill for college because we, A, we never talked about money and B everybody else's parents was doing it, all my friends. So I was just like, okay, well, like mom and dad got this. Well, you know, I go to a and I graduate after four years. And to my surprise, after six months, when my loans came out of deferment, I started getting letters in the mail that said, hey, you know, you have to start making payments on your student loans. And I was like, oh, wow. what student loans? Like, I didn't realize I had student loans. You know what I mean? So I oh, found out um, that I was $40,000 in student loan debt. And during this time, I was actually living at home. So I was working at Sewell and I was living at home for my first year out of college, like a true millennial does nowadays, because everyone else was like moving home with their parents. I was like, all right, well, I'll do that too. My parents, you know, they're close to where I'm working. So I lived at home for a year with the intention, like what I told myself was that, oh, I'm going to live at home for a year. I'm going to save all this money. Um, I'm going to get ahead financially. Um, and, you know, Megan, you might remember this, but, you know, it's like at school, they give you a car to drive. They pay for your gas. Yes. They pay for your insurance. They paid for your cell phone bill. So, I mean, I was legitimately like making a pretty solid income fresh out of college with virtually no expenses, living at home, having a car to drive, all that good stuff. So you would think in that year of time, I could have really made a lot of progress financially, but unfortunately that was not the case. So I always kind of equate it to like a kid who was really strict parents growing up and then he leaves to go to college and he just goes wild. Well, that was basically me, but with money, right? I mean, (laughs) I basically, you know, up until that point in my life before getting a full-time job, I probably, you know, at any given point in time, probably had no more than like 50 bucks in my bank account as like a high school kid and then as a broke college student. So then when it was like, oh, like I'm making a salary, I'm getting paid every two weeks, I have no experience expenses. I, you know, in my mind, I was like, I have no responsibilities. I just went nuts. Like, even (laughs) though I was living at home, I was eating every single meal out, um, you know, expensive happy hours. I'm not kidding. I would literally like leave the dealership 
like some days and drive up to North Park Mall and just stroll into Banana Republic or J Crew and just swipe my credit card for like five hundred dollars, like on my lunch break. <laughs> and oh so I like no, like casual, like oh yeah, it's my lunch break. I'm just gonna go up to North Park and spend five hundred dollars. You know what I mean? Um, oh and so you know, basically at the end of that year. You know, I I knew that I was going to move out of my parents' house and move into an apartment. So I was like, okay, well, I probably need to like start paying attention to finances because I'm going to have to start paying rent, utilities, and all this other stuff I haven't had to worry about. And that's when I really had my like come to Jesus moment financially, which is when A, I realized I was $40,000 in student loan debt that I didn't know that I had. And I was essentially looking at my bank account after an entire year's worth of making a great salary and having nothing to show for it. And so at that point, you know, Ryan and I were dating pretty seriously. We had incredibly different childhoods as far as the role that money played in it. So Ryan's parents were very, very, um, you know, active and verbal with him and his brother about money growing up. You know, they paid off their house when Ryan was around like 10 years old. And Ryan always tells me like, yeah, I have this like vivid memory of my parents sitting my brother and I down and being like, boys, like we just want to let you know that we paid off our home today. So, you know, and his parents were always very like frugal when Ryan would make money, they would always kind of make him like put some of it away. So he had a very different like you know, upbringing with money than I did. And Ryan was actually the one because he was, he was pretty much doing the same thing. Cause we were going to all these dinners and happy hours and stuff yeah. together. So it was Ryan was that, there. yeah. And you <laughs> know, the Megan, same thing. yeah. So <laughs> after about a year of that, Ryan, you know, we kind of sat down and Ryan was like, okay, we've got to get this figured out because he also had about $50,000 of student loan debt from his MBA. So he was like, you've got 40, I've got 50, like I, we, we've got some credit card debt between the two of us. So between the two of us, like we're nearing six figures at this point. So if we don't get this figured out, like it's not going to be good. So long story short, just to kind of get to where we are now, that was really the moment that we had where we said, okay, something's got to change. And it was not an overnight process. I mean, again, I, I feel very lucky and blessed that that moment happened for me when I was 22 years old. Um, so That's I was still awesome. very, very young. Um, but, you know, the next five years was really that time period where we really, um, you know, made a plan, stuck to that plan. And we got through, you know, we paid off all of our debt, but then within that time frame as well, there were a lot of like big milestones that we also wanted to cash flow and fund that I feel like a lot of people in their 20s go through, like getting engaged, getting married, um, going on a honeymoon, buying your first home, potentially starting a family, right? All of those yep. things that a lot of people kind of encounter in their 20s and 30s that are very expensive financially, where when you're also trying to balance paying off debt, you're like, okay, well, like, what do we do? Do we like push off those life milestones before we get out of debt? Or, you know, do we kind of do it like, do we kind of mix it up? So within that time, that five-year time frame, we kind of decided to mix it up a little bit. So we would pay off debt and then we'd pause and then we'd save up for whatever it was that we wanted to do, whether it was like our wedding, because we had to pay for our wedding. So it was like, we'd stop, we'd save up for our wedding, we'd pay for the wedding, and then we'd go back to paying off debt. And then we'd pause and then we'd save up a down payment for a home and we'd do that. And then we'd go back to debt and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, you know, after five years, it was all paid off along with funding all those milestones. And the thing about it was, is like when we were going through it, I didn't tell anyone about our debt. I was so embarrassed. I was so ashamed. I have a very different mindset of it now. Um, But at the time, you know, I think going back to just the thoughts in my head of, you know, my high school friends, I, you know, like you read in my bio, I really thought that I was the only one with student loan debt because all the friends that I had growing up in a more affluent area, all their parents paid for college. And that was like the world that I knew. And so I was like, okay, well, I must be like the only one whose parents like didn't pay for their college and has you know, this student loan debt. Well, then after we got out of it and I started, you know, we didn't start telling anybody about it until we had paid it all off because I was so embarrassed and ashamed of it while we had it. But once I started telling people, you know, I kind of started getting reactions like, wait, what? Like, what did you guys do? Like, oh my gosh, like, well, I have student loan debt. I have credit card debt. Like, I want to do that. Like, I want to get out of debt. I want to start building up savings. So like, can you 
can you tell me how you did that? Like, can you help me? Can you coach me? And that's when I really started to realize like, oh my gosh, like this is actually a very big problem that I thought was just me. And it's actually, I thought that I was the minority, but I'm actually the majority. Like there's more people out here with debt than without it. And that's kind of when I had the idea of starting the Purposeful Penny and kind of launching from there to what it is today. So that's such a cool story. And I just commend you because I agree that you're in the majority with people being in debt. But I have to say, I think you're in the minority to have such discipline at such a young age and not just you, but also your boyfriend at the time, now husband, Ryan. Mm -hmm. And for you guys to, even though you didn't communicate with others, I think that it's just amazing that you guys within each other were able to have just those healthy, you know, it sounds like mature communications with each other to figure out a plan. So that's just amazing. And I think that you are in the right spot for sure with um, turning it into a coaching thing because all that you did in five years is just, I'm like wanting to sit here and clap for you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it wasn't easy. And honestly, like I was saying in my story, I mean, thank goodness for Ryan, because if it wasn't for Ryan, I don't know like where I would be today. Because again, like, I just remember thinking like, oh gosh, like if I don't get my, you know, ish together, like he's going to dump me, like he's going to break up with me. So I, you know, at the time I was like, okay, well, I better figure this out. But I mean, (laughs) yeah, motivation, (laughs) motivation for sure. So but I appreciate that. Yeah, Yeah. love it. This is Kristen. I can totally relate because I married, I actually did not have student loan debt, but I married into a lot of student loan debt. Mm, So we are currently working on paying that off. Um, Happens a lot. Yeah. Yeah. He got uh, his doctorate Mm -hmm. from PharmD. So he's, you know, at Auburn. So. <laughs> oh, awesome. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, that happens, honestly, that happens all the time. Two of my very best friends, one of their husbands is a lawyer. The other one is an orthodontist. So they were both in the same situations and it happens all the time, right? Where it's like yeah. one person in the relationship maybe comes in with no debt. And then the other person comes in with just this like mountain heap of debt, that sort of thing. And, you know, the biggest advice I can give on that front is you have to really tackle it as a team. Like sometimes I talk to people and they will or, you know, couples, married couples, right? My philosophy really is like, look, when you're married, I feel like people really get really hung up in like the semantics of it. Like, well, you know, should we combine our bank accounts? And like, should he have his money? And I have my money. It's like, do, you know, you guys can have it structured however you want, but at the end of the day, like just realize that like you are a team, like you consider yourself a team in every other area of life, right? Whether that's parenting or something else, you're also a team when it comes to your money. And so you need to act like one, right? And so when I hear people saying like, oh, well, like his money and her money, it's like, no, 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 no. It's our money, right? Or like his debt and her debt. It's like, no, this is your, like, this affects both of you. Right. So it's yeah. like, you got to treat it as a team and you got to tackle it together as a team. Oh yeah. Totally. I a hundred percent agree. And you know, that is what we're doing. Although I do tease him every once in a while, I will say. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. That's allowed. <laughs> but, um, I did want to ask a question page for you. Um, so what would you say are the most important fundamental mind shifts? mindset shifts that have to happen in order to be a success or in order to be successful financially? What would you say to someone? Yeah. So talking about money mindset is probably like one of my favorite, favorite things to talk about when it comes to money. It's like my jam. I love it so much. (laughs) So a lot of people, first of all, when they think of money, like what you, what you first have to understand is that money is actually very emotional right? When most people think of money, they think like, oh, it's numbers. It's one plus two equals three. It's very black and white. It's like, no. Money is like one of the most emotional things in your life, right? And you have to understand that about it. You have to understand that just how you have a relationship with, you know, people in your life, you also have a relationship with your money. And a lot of people have a very negative, like scarcity-based, um, relationship with with their money. So that's the first thing is just understanding that money is not just numbers, math, not black and white. It is very emotional. Um, The next thing that I would say as far as mindset is you get to choose how you feel about your money. And what I, you know, what I mean by that is 
when I'm talking to especially women about their money, first of all, mostly with women, I, I, I never really hear men say this at all, but women, you know, we kind of have this preconceived notion that like, we're just not good with money. Like, oh, I'm just not good with math. Or like my husband runs the finances or like, I'm just not good with money. I suck at money. Yeah. I'm bad at money. When you, first of all, when you think thoughts like that, and when you say things like that to yourself, you will be bad with money. Like if you, if yeah. you're constantly telling yourself, like, I suck with money, you're going to suck with money. Right. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So just understanding that the way that you like talk to yourself and think to yourself about your relationship with your money and like how well you manage your money, like that's what will manifest. And I know that sounds a little like woo-woo and I'm not like a very woo-woo not person. We love it. Um, but it's so true. And you know, the last thing that I'll say, which I really like to do is think of your money like it's an actual person, right? And so if your money was an actual person standing there and mm -hmm. It was describing your relationship. Like, what would it say about your relationship? Would it oh, say like, like oh, like, you know, um, you're always asking like where I am and, you know, I'm never enough and you're always comparing me and, and, and you know, how, how much you have of me to other people. You always get really excited when I show up. But then as soon as I get here, you just send me right back out the door and send me away, right? You're not using me responsibly. You're not valuing our relationship. Like imagine if it was an actual person standing there describing your relationship, or is it saying things like, yeah, like you really care for me. You really value me. Like you're using me in a responsible way, right? Like that's two mm -hmm. totally different things. So just know that, you know, money is emotional. It's extremely emotional. It's not just numbers. It's not black and white. And the way that you think and feel about your money is so important. Like I, I always get a lot of questions on the house, right? How to budget, mm -hmm. how to get out of debt, how to raise your credit score, how to buy a home and yeah. all that's great. And all that is extremely important, but you can't change your actions and expect them to be sustainable, to have good results with your money. If your mind is just a garbage can, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. You're like yeah. speaking my language. Cause I'm so big on mindset. I just yes. think that it's the beginning and heart to everything. Speaking of listening to you talk, so this is so funny, but I actually just finished a book and it's called The Heart of Money by Deborah Price. Have you yeah. read that by chance? I, I own it. I actually, I haven't read it yet. I have oh, like, okay. I have a bookshelf of a lot of books that like I own. I haven't read yet. <laughs> that one is actually on my, on my shelf to read. Is it good? Did you like it? It it is so good. And actually a lot of what you're saying, I mean, it even has a quiz that you take and, um, it to just kind of get you in that mindset and to really establish those emotional feelings that you have towards it. So it kind of goes right along. And, um, I highly recommend the book to anybody out there because it's just kind of a good tool guide to kind of start your mind shift. Um, yeah, so I love, nice, I, nice. I love everything that you said. So look yeah. at, money like a person, a real yeah. relationship. Because it is. Yeah, <laughs> it is. And, you know, if I can just add on that, just two other books for you readers, um, if, yeah. you know, obviously the one that you suggested, two others that I really like that are like oldies, but goodies. They're just like classics. If you really want to work on just like cleaning up your money mindset, two books that you can start with. Um, one is Think and Grow Rich by yes. Napoleon Hill. That is like one of the all time, like he's like the OG um, and then the science of getting rich by William Waddles. I okay, might, cool. I might be wrong on that author's name, but the, but the title of the book is the science of getting rich. Yeah, um, so, so those awesome. are really good as well. Okay. Yeah. Got we'll it. put all three of those in our, um, in our notes. So the listeners can have that as a resource. And I love Think and Grow Rich is actually sitting right behind me on my bookshelf. That's oh, good. Such, yeah. Such a good one. It's a good one. Um, so for what's, if you could name one impactful change that people could make right now today to ensure that they are hitting their financial goals, what would you say? Okay. So this is, this is a great one. And this is one of the biggest, biggest things that I see people doing wrong. And it's one of the most impactful changes that you can do with your money. So first and foremost, let's just start with the fact that your money 
should have a priority that it goes in. So here's what I mean by that is there are certain, you know, items or expenses in your life that should come before others, right? And so I actually have a course where like I teach this order, but the order goes like this. First and foremost come your needs, like your basic needs, your your necessities. So that's like keeping a roof over your head, keeping your heat on, water on, basic clothing. Okay, keyword is basic, not like, you know, not like your fifth pair of like Lulu leggings, but like basic clothing. Um, So things like that, right? Groceries, you got to eat. So needs come first, right? After that, what I always say is make your minimum debt payments because you don't want to fall behind on, you know, your debt obligations, right? So after that come your minimum debt payments. But here's like the most impactful part, which is step number three. After that, what most people do after they've covered their basic needs and they've like paid their bills, they go out and they start spending on all like what I call like the fun want stuff, right? So like the eating out and the entertainment and the travel and the concerts and, you know, like the bougie clothing and all that sort of stuff. And here's the thing. I am not saying that you can't buy any of those things. I want you to buy those things. It's healthy to, you know, part of having a healthy relationship with money is actually spending it, right? So I'm not saying you can't spend on any of those things, but that comes after you hit your financial goals, like like you fund your financial goals. So I always teach, like, let's just say, for instance, your 2020 goal or resolution, you're like, hey, I want to save $6,000 this year. Like, I finally want to save up that emergency fund. I want it to be $6,000, right? So you'll sit down and you'll make a plan and you'll say, okay, well, if I want to do that, then that means I have to save $500 a month every month in 2020. So by the time I get to the end of the year, I'll have $6,000, right? So yeah. going back to that example, what a lot of people do is like, they'll cover their own ne- their needs, they'll spend, 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 and then they'll kind of like cross their fingers and hope that at the end of the month, there's $500 left over, right? Mm-hmm. And then whatever's left over, that's what they'll put to their, to like towards their goals. And most of the time, like for most people, there's not what needs to be there to hit your goal. If there's anything at all. I mean, for a lot of people, there's nothing left like at all, right? Yeah. So what I teach is that needs to be your third step. And you you guys might have heard this before. It's kind of a popular saying, but when people say like pay yourself first, that's that's what this means. It essentially means like, you know, you cover your needs, you meet your minimum debt obligations, then you fund your financial goals. It doesn't mean you have to like be there and hit it. But you need to have a either monthly or per paycheck contribution amount that you're making to your goal, whether that's like a savings goal or you're, you know, trying to get out of debt. So you you do that. And then what what's left over after that is what you spend, right? That is yeah. what you go out and you have fun on. So Warren Buffett's like one of my favorites and one of my it's it's probably like my favorite, you know, personal finance quote. He says, do not spend. No, I I, I always screw this up because it's a hard quote. He says, oh, do not save what's left after spending, but spend what's left after saving. Right? Yeah. So most people are doing, you know, 90% of people are doing it in that first order. They're spending, spending, yeah. spending, saving what's left over or putting towards debt what's left over, where it really needs to be the other way around. Right. The money that you need to like hit your goals or get out of debt comes first. Like that money gets earmarked and put away or put towards your debt. Then whatever's left over after that is what you can spend and have fun on and, you know, go out to eat and do all the entertainment and stuff like that. But that way you're ensuring that you're going to hit your financial goal. And that's why this is why so many people don't hit their financial goals and they're not making progress is because they're not making the money needed to hit the goal a priority. Right. Everything else comes first. And then it's like, well, you know, if I have stuff left over, I'll put it towards my goal. It's like, no, no, no. That needs to come first. And then you use whatever you have left to live off of and have fun. Yeah, it's so true. And I think uh, just going back to our initial conversation is how do you, you know, get that through the heads of a 22-year-old? Of course, everyone's different, but but it's like, I'm just thinking as I'm a mom, so I'm already kind of thinking – for my my son, it's like, how do you show and communicate the importance and the power 
and the benefits of doing that in your twenties versus later in life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so, not necessarily asking, but <laughs> if you know, well, I mean, you know, and uh, you know, I'll just say like, I'm not, I'm not a mom. I don't have any kids, but I can tell you some ideas that I've seen other moms do that I think are really, really great. And I really like, um, mm-hmm. and you guys have probably seen this. I think actually Magnolia home, um, just came out with a version of this that you can get at target. That's actually like really cute and, you know, aesthetically pleasing. Um, oh, but uh-huh. you guys might've seen this before, but what a lot of parents do is, you know, as their kids are earning money, whether that's through like household chores or once they get to the age where they actually have a job is they'll have the three jars, right? So there's three jars and they're labeled give, spend, and save, right? And you can really work out the distribution of what you want to go in each jar, you know, between you and your kid. Right. Um, but the theory of it is, is like for every dollar that they own or earn a certain amount goes into the give jar that they can use to give away, whether it's to, you know, your church or maybe a cause that, you know, your kid is really passionate about a certain amount is going to go into the save jar, which obviously is used for long-term savings. And then the rest of it goes into into spend, which your kid can really just spend on whatever they want. But that really ingrains to them, like really at a young age, that you don't just get to spend 100% of what you earn, right? And to right. be honest with you, that is what I did. Like when I was in high school, um, have y'all ever eaten at Babe's Chicken? Yeah. <laughs> okay. For those of y'all who don't Love live it. in Dallas, you're like Babe's Chicken. Okay. But it's a it's a restaurant in Dallas and it's so good. That's where I worked in high school. So my nice. job, my job in high school, I would go to Babe's. It was a great job for a 15 year old, but I would walk out of that restaurant every day with just like cash in my hand. And nobody slowed me down to say like, hey, Paige, maybe instead of like going to the mall and spending all of that right away, why don't you like save some of that? Like, why don't you give some of it away just to like be generous with your money? You know what I mean? Like nobody slowed me down. Nobody stopped me. And I so wish that somebody had. Right. And so this is something, this is just a really practical, like I said, um, I'll, I'll try to find the jars for you guys and and send them. Um, so you guys can put them in your show notes, but just those three jars. Right. So that's, that's one. Um, so that's, that's a really good idea. Now for somebody like who's a little bit older, maybe in their twenties, what I always find to be really effective is honestly just showing them the math. Like, yeah. because the numbers don't lie. Data doesn't Time lie. Time value of money. <laughs> exactly. So a lot of like, I mean, I, I certainly didn't when I was 21, 22, like I didn't understand the concept of like compound interest, right? Like mm-hmm. I didn't get it. Um, but it's not it's not hard to understand. It's just that I had never like taken the time to like sit down and understand it. Right. And, and learn it like it's simple math. But what I found is when you actually show people the math, when you're like, okay, Mr. 22 year old, if you just save 200 bucks a month out of your paycheck and put it into your company's 401k or put it in an IRA, this is what that money will turn into when you're 65. And when you're doing that, you know, in your head, you think like, well, it's just 200 bucks a month. Like that's honestly, like that's not a lot, right? Like 200 bucks mm-hmm. a month doesn't seem like much, but when that's compounded over 40 years, it's millions of dollars, yeah. like multiple millions of dollars. So yeah. when you show that to somebody, that's really powerful and that's really impactful. And, yeah. you know, I have a lot of people message me and they ask me that they're like, how do I, how do I get my like 22 year old to understand this? I'm like, yeah, we'll just, I'm like, well, have you, yeah. yeah, I'm like, have you, have you like sat down with them and like done this? And they're like, well, no, you know, I've just, and I'm like, well, you need to do that because you know, it'll, it'll <laughs> really like open their eyes. And then they always come back and they're like, oh my gosh, they were just, they were shocked. Like they had no idea. And I'm like, yeah, I know. No, no 22 year old does, but that's the point. You got to show them. And once, yeah. and once they do, they're like, oh, okay. I get this now. Yeah. yeah. No, I love that. And I, I feel the same way as you. I wish somebody had kind of or maybe it was me that needed to like listen more. I think all of these lessons that you're talking about are things that I kind of have always known, but I've never really gone full force with it. And it's like this conversation's coming at the perfect time because this is me and my husband's year to get out of debt. And we've literally sat down and made like all the things that you're saying. I've fi- awesome. I feel like I finally understand and we're have a little bit of school loans left, not a lot, thankfully. And then we have some credit card debt and we have 
an awesome plan to get it paid off by the end of this year that I'm really excited about. Awesome. That's amazing. I know. I'm like finally committed. I think I always thought we were never in so bad of debt that I thought it was a problem. But once we had two two kids, both in Montessori school, we both have Mm. great jobs. But it just, I mean, it kind of took us out with a higher mortgage and yeah. the two daycare payments. I was like, oh yep. my gosh, like yeah, did exactly. not even think about this when I accidentally got pregnant the second time. <laughs> just, <laughs> uh, it adds up. Well, oh and my I gosh, think Paige, adds up so like, fast. Yeah. And not everyone is like you, Paige. Like you obviously kind of have a love for it. You have gotten your mindset around it where it doesn't seem like you have a fear of it, but I think just the word, you know, money and, um, you know, it just roots back, like you said, to our childhood and there's just so many emotions that can come around it. And I know, you know, just sharing my husband and I story, we grew up two totally different ways, you know, where in, in like you and your husband, like where sometimes finances were mentioned for him, not so much. So Anyway, it took us a really long time to learn how to have those conversations without mm-hmm. it instantly creating just anxiety and stress and uh, over nothing. It was just all in our head. Yep. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I think that Megan, to, to your point, it's like, I think we all want, you know, financial freedom. You know, we all want that. But just like with anything else, it's just such a commitment and you can't run from it if, if you're going to change, you know, then you have to commit to those changes, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And, you know, I always say, you know, the term ignorance is bliss. That is not the case when it comes to your money. Like maybe in other areas of life, fine. (laughs) I know, right? Like, wouldn't it be so great if it was? But, you know, it's just like, you know, I know, I know that it can be like uncomfortable. But what I always tell people is like, you can do hard things, right? And I know that it like, it seems really scary and it seems really hard, but having like, you know, the, the knowledge part is not hard, right? Like, I mean, anyone that has gone through elementary school and has a fifth grade level of, of math can be decent with their money. And I think a lot of people, when they think money, they think like investing in stocks and bonds and all these things. And it's like, no, that's like the last like 10% of it, right? The fundamentals yeah. are not that difficult to learn. Implementing it, like I'm not saying that, you know, living on a budget or that sort of stuff is easy peasy and you'll get it on your first try. That definitely takes work and practice. And I still, every single month, just so everyone knows listening, I feel like a lot of people think like, oh, well, you know, you stick to your budget every month. And it's like, no, we, we screw up on our budget all the time. Right. And your budget doesn't have to be something that's like, you know, set in stone and super rigid. Our budget is very fluid. It's very flexible. There are categories that we blow over way over one month. And it's like, okay, well, we got to figure out like where we can pull from. And it's very like fluid and flowing. Right. So it, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be, you know, perfect. Um, and yeah. like the key is just checking in on a regular checking basis. in, checking <laughs> yeah. in what? on a regular basis. And then where that kind of leads perfectly into like for those wanting to become debt free, but they just don't really know where to start. Yeah. Um, where would you suggest they start? <laughs> so, um, you know, I always say there's kind of like three steps that I always say to walk through. So the first step is kind of a no brainer, but I always say it because you would be surprised how many people don't know the answer to this question. But the first step is you got to just list out all the debt that you have and figure out what you're dealing with. Right. Um, so that means just sitting down and making a complete list of every loan that you have, whether that's student loan, credit card, car loan, whatever, any debt that's outside of your home. Like you don't have to include your home in this unless you do want to aggressively pay off your home. But I'm more so just talking about like consumer debt. So any debt that you have outside of your home, just list everything out, you know, the the loan name, the provider. Um, all the information on it, the minimum payment, the interest rate. And you can find all this on your statement, right? If you just log into your account, you can look up a statement and it will tell you all this. It will tell you what your minimum payments are and your interest rate and your loan balance and all that sort of stuff. So you can easily find all this information. Once you have everything listed out, total everything up. And obviously that's kind of like your mountain that you have to climb. And like I said, it sounds very obvious, but the amount of people that I ask like, well, how much debt do you have? 
they can't even answer that question because they haven't even like taken the time to add it all up. And I'm like, okay, well, that's step one. So after you do that, then what I always advise people to do is really to kind of pick your plan of attack. And there's two main ways. You guys might have heard of, of either of these, but there's two main debt payoff paths that are the most popular. The first was made super popular by Dave Ramsey. It's called the debt snowball. And essentially what that means is that you take all of your loans and you put them in order of the smallest loan amount to the largest loan amount. And that is essentially your order or your plan of attack. So what you do is you're going to make minimum payments on everything because you don't, again, you don't want to fall behind on any of the loans, but essentially whatever loan is at the top of the list, that's kind of like your loan that's up to bat. And so what you're going to do, like, let's just say if you're like, okay, we're going to put 500 extra dollars towards debt every month, that 500 extra dollars goes towards whatever loan is up to bat. You don't like spread it across a bunch of loans or put a little here, put a little there. You have one loan that you're focusing on and everything goes towards that one loan until that's paid off. And then you go to the next and then you go to the next until you've eventually worked through all of your loans. And the, I guess, um, psychology. Super helpful. Yeah. So the debt snowball, what a lot of people say is like, well, wouldn't you want to pay off your loan that has the highest interest rate first? Um, and I'll get to that. But the whole psychology behind the debt snowball is that because you're paying off your smallest loan amount first, you'll have quick wins in the beginning, right? So you're going to get through a lot of like, like, you know, like let's say you have a credit card that's got like 500 bucks on it, right? And that's your smallest. It's like, okay, that's that's what we're going to do first, right? So you're going to knock out a lot of your smaller loans first just to have those quick wins in the beginning to keep you excited, to keep you motivated and to keep you going throughout the process. Then the very last loan that you pay off will be your largest. So that's the first method. The second method, which is actually what my husband and I did, is called the debt avalanche, which is what I was referring to earlier. That's essentially where you take all of your loans and you order them from highest interest rate to lowest interest rate. This method is just more like math driven. Like this is just what's going to save you the most money in the long run because you're just paying off your highest interest loans first, right? Yeah. But it, it, it's you know, unlike the snowball, that's more like psychology driven. This one's just more like math, black and white driven. Like, okay, we're just going to do what's going to save us the most money in the long run. So those are really the two paths that you can pick depending on, you know, kind of think for a second and think like, okay, am I the type of person who I'm going to need, um, you know, to kind of have that excitement and to have those wins along this journey to keep me motivated? If so, if that's you, I would definitely recommend going the snowball method. And, you know, people are like, well, then I'm going to pay more in interest. It's like, whatever, just get the debt paid off. Like, forget about the semantics of it. Forget about like, okay, paying an extra 500 bucks in interest. The important thing is that you get debt free. If that's going to keep you motivated and on track, do that. If you're just more like me and you're just more like math driven, I just want to do what's going to save me the most money and I can find other ways to keep myself motivated, then do the avalanche method where you're just paying off the highest interest first. So that's your plan of attack. Um, And then really it's just kind of like working through all your loans until until they're, they're paid off. And I mean, through that, there's, you know, a lot of different ways that you can, you know, increase your income so that you can put more towards the debt, that sort of thing. I mean, so many people have, you know, I've seen so many people start side businesses and pick up side hustles that actually turn into their full-time income sources all because they were trying to get out of debt and they were just like looking for more income. Right. So there's actually a lot of good that can come from the process. Like the last thing I'll say on this question is, Debt doesn't have to be this just like drudgery of where you're just like, oh God, like this is going to suck. My life is going to suck for the next however long, like the next year until we get out of debt. It does not have to be that way, right? First of all, there are so many like just free and fun things that you can do for entertainment to keep yourself, you know, motivated. But Mm -hmm. secondly, like getting out of debt is going to change you as a person for the better, like yeah. the amount of just growth, personal growth that I went through through my journey was invaluable to me. And I always say like I am so thankful as crazy as it sounds, I am so thankful for my student loan debt because it's made me who I am today. Like it has actually the process of paying it off has made me a better person. It's why I started my business. It's why I'm doing what I'm doing today. So mm-hmm. don't think that it has to be this thing where it's just, you know, this 
this just like terrible time in your life, a lot yeah. of growth can come of it. You can learn so much and you're, you're going to become like a much better person coming out of it. I agree. Yes. Love it. Um, Paige, I do have a quick question for you. Yeah. Based off, and like you said, so my husband and I, we're the numbers people. So we're option where we're attacking the highest interest rates first. Got it. Um, and so I do have a question for you. So I am a big saver. I always have been. And I actually have enough saved to pay off all of our debt, except of course our mortgage, you mm-hmm. know, our house. Yeah. But the, you know, trick is I, I am not a W2 employee. I am a 1099. I'm straight commission. Got it. So, you know, as a 1099 employee, the rule is to have at least three, I think it's three months saved. Um, is, is that the rule? I think it is. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Somewhere around that, or just to have a couple of months of expenses. Yeah. yeah. So I guess my question is, would you just go ahead and just pay off all your debt with all your savings and drain your whole savings account? Or would you attack it like we're doing, which is, you know, paying the minimum and then we're throwing extra every month towards that, you know, biggest interest rate loan? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I always say like every situation is a little bit different, but I'll kind of just give you like my um, high level answer. So first and foremost, like always have enough in your savings account for an emergency fund, right? So that's kind of what I was talking about earlier. I feel like everyone should have an emergency fund. If you are single or if you're married with no kids, I always say to keep your emergency fund between like three and $5,000. If you are married with kids and you have a family, you obviously have more opportunities for emergencies to arise. So I say like, if you have kids, probably keep it like between five and $7,000. So always have that. Don't ever drain your bank account lower than like not having an emergency fund because it's not really a matter of if it's a matter of when something is going to happen that you weren't expecting and you're going to need that money to fall back on. Right. So never drain it below that. For you and your husband, what I would say is, you know, I don't know if you guys are homeowners or anything like that, but if there's any big expense that you foresee coming in the horizon, like for instance, if you guys are going to want to buy a home or maybe if you're going to want to start a family sometime soon, I wouldn't drain your savings completely. So I wouldn't drain it past the point of what you need to hit your next big milestone, right? So like, like, do you guys um, own a home? We do own a home, but we do plan. We don't have a fam. We don't have kids, but we plan on like in the next year or two. So okay, okay. So if you guys are thinking like, okay, well, you know, when our kid is born, we're gonna want to put X amount, like maybe into a college fund for them and start saving for their college, right? I would keep that amount saved in your bank account, right? So right. Uh, if you have your emergency fund, if you have anything tucked away for a larger expense that you know is coming down the road, then I honestly, I say anything up and above that. And, you know, obviously keep, keep your three months for your 1099, right? Like I would just kind of treat that separately, but anything up and above that, I would say like, you guys have enough cushion. I would just take that and put it towards your debt so that you can get out of debt even faster. Okay. But, but definitely have those things like definitely have your emergency fund saved. Like do not drain your savings account past having like a solid emergency fund because that's just, setting yourself up to fail. Like something will happen and then you're just going to have to go back into debt to pay for it. So don't drain it past that. If you have any big expenses on the horizon that you know I would say are within like the next year, um, definitely just have that saved. Um, And then, yeah, anything up and above that, I would say like totally fine to to throw towards debt. Cool. Love it. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Paige, you've given so much great information. I've taken lots of notes and Good. we just thank you so much for sharing your story and um, just all the great tips that we, I know so many of us will take away for today. So those of the listeners that would like to kind of learn more about you and what you're about, um, I know I started following you on Insta and I think, didn't you just come out with a book or workbook? And so I want to hear about that, but also let the listeners know where to find you. Oh, perfect. Yeah. So first and foremost, where to find me, um, my website is www.thepurposefulpenny.com. It's spelled just how it sounds. Um, I'm definitely, as far as social is concerned, the most active on Instagram. So my handle is the same. It's just at the purposeful penny. Um, the workbook that you're talking about, um, I think that I talked about a 
couple of weeks ago on my Instagram. Mm -hmm. So I actually have a resource. I call it my every little detail book. And what this is, is it is a book that just how it sounds, it is a fillable PDF. So you can like fill it out on your computer or you can print it out and do it by hand. But it's a book that you document, I mean, like literally every detail of your life. And the reason that I made this resource, I initially made it for myself as just something that I was going to use for myself personally, because in my household, I'm the one that manages all the finances and all of our insurance policies and has all of our logins and passwords on our computer and stuff like that. And one day Ryan pretty much said to me, he's like, look, if you like, I mean, God forbid, but like if something were to happen to you, I'm in trouble because I don't know how to like access any of this stuff. Like, I don't know. You know, he's like, I don't know any of it. So he's like, can you just like write this down for me somewhere? And I'm like, okay, yeah, casual. Like, can you just write this down? Right. Before I knew it, it was like, you know, 40 pages in a Word document. Right. Um, So I was like, okay, I can't be the only one who needs something like this. So what I did is I just took and I made a template um, that you can download. And like I said, you really can just document everything between like, estate plan, your final wishes, um, everything about your financial situation. So like your assets, your liabilities, logins and passwords, um, information about your pets and your kids and your medical information. I mean, it literally just has everything. So that is a resource you can find on my website um, just at the top. So yeah. Awesome. Yay. Well, um, as if you've listened to our podcast, you know that we love to finish each episode with a challenge for ourselves for the week and any listeners that want to join in. And so we are going to ask you to assign us that challenge for this week. Okay. Hand it to us, Paige. Perfect. (laughs) Okay. So I want to go back to what we were talking about earlier, just about, you know, ordering your money in the right way so that you can hit your financial goals. So if you haven't yet, I mean, I know this is the time of year. I mean, we're still in the very beginning of the year. So you can definitely still hit, set and hit like a major financial goal in 2020. So if you haven't already, I want you to set a financial goal for yourself or financial resolution that you want to hit in 2020, right? And then I want you to just make a plan to hit that. A very like basic, doesn't have to be complicated, basic plan. Break it down by month. Say, okay, like if we've got 10 months in this left in, in this year left, what do I have to contribute towards my goal every single month? So that come, you know, the end of 2020, I've hit my goal. And then the last step of that, like we talked about, is really making that contribution, whatever it is, a priority in your money, right? So that comes before all the other stuff that you have, right? So if you're writing out your budget or you're just really thinking about this, you're like, okay, I'm going to cover my basic needs and I'm going to cover all my debt payments. But after that... I'm going to fund this goal. Like this goal will be a priority with my money. And I promise you, if you do that, you will have hit the goal at the end of the year. Love it. Awesome. Thank you so much. Of course. Thanks guys. This was so fun. I'd have laughed. (laughs) Yes. Have a great week, everyone. (laughs) Good. (laughs) All right. Thanks guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye.